Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Albert Einstein once said, No problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts uh, via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, can you ever get too comfortable And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Okay, so this is our final podcast for 2018. 2019 is right around the corner. So we thought that a subject would be fitting to end one year and begin a new one is about getting too comfortable. So as another year rolls around, many of us feel like it's time to shake off the lethargy of our most recent habits and experiences and drive headlong into the new me. This time, I'm going to make those changes. This time, I'm going to see it through. This time, I'm not going to let circumstances or feelings or habits or others distract or discourage me. Mm -mm. Lots of determined thinking and talk. And unfortunately, it turns out that it may be end up as a lot of hot air. According to several sources, business magazines and periodicals and so forth, no matter what we say or resolve, about 80% of us stop trying to keep our New Year's resolutions by mid-February. Wow. Now, yeah, I know. That's pretty. And, and that's on the lower end. I saw them up as, as high as 93%. Okay. Unbelievable. <laughs> so there are lots of reasons that might happen, from setting the bar too high to a basic lack of commitment. But think about this. What if the issue is that we are simply too comfortable? What do we do then? So, Jonathan, that is the approach that we're taking uh, for today's podcast. And in our podcast today, starting and stopping our New Year's resolutions is one thing that most of us are familiar with. But what about the consequences of not following through? We don't usually talk about that. Have you ever thought that one of the consequences might be giving the issues we want to be rid of an even greater hold in our lives? In segments two and three, we're going to look at being too comfortable with a distorted view of the gospel and with managing serious disagreements when it comes to getting things done. Further, How do we stay on the narrow path as the world around us slides into an abyss? In segments four and five, we're going to address recognizing our own emotional wounds and changing the way we handle them, and that's a big one, as well as how to cope with the extreme discomfort of something that is already a good thing having to change. But first, let's look at an experience that would make any of us uncomfortable. How would you feel? if you had to call out, in public no less, someone whom everyone respected. 
that's uncomfortable as uncomfortable gets. So, Jonathan, before we get into that particular example, again, it's about comfort and discomfort as we end one year and start to get into a new year. I want to go to a, a TED Talk from YouTube uh, from Yubing Zhang, and the title of her talk is Life Begins at the Edge of Your Comfort Zone. Now, she's a little bit hard to understand, but she tells a wonderful story, especially starting with this part of her talk. Let's listen. It's a cold and foggy winter morning, and I'm standing on the world's tallest bungee platform. The platform I'm standing on is so tiny that I have to stand on my toes and balance myself against the wind. The operator ties one end of the bungee cord to my ankle and throws the slack in the air. I can feel the weight of the rope on my ankle slowly dragging me down. I look down. All the buildings and roads are buried in heavy fog. There is only one voice in my head: "I can't do this." So I turn around and tell them that I want to quit. And then I see a huge quote printed on the glass window right next to me: "Life begins at the edge of your comfort zone." I don't know why, but this short yet powerful sentence gives me the final push. And before I realize it, I walk straight back to the platform and jump off the world's highest bungee platform. So, Jonathan, would you ever get onto the world's highest bungee platform and jump off like that? No, I wouldn't. Rick. Would you? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> wow! That kind of thing <laughs> makes me like. Oh, I'd love to try that. My wife would, though. Would she really? <laughs> Probably. That's funny. That's funny. You know, on on our, our honeymoon,、uh, she wanted to go parasailing, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go first, and I was scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. No, no, that kind of thing for me is like that's a that's a thrill and exciting. But anyway, it's scary. And she wanted to quit. That's really, and, and, and we're talking about comfort and discomfort today. So we thought that would be a good place for us to stop start. So we're going to drop in on several examples of comfort and follow the pattern of Ephesians chapter four, which is where you got our theme text from, as we observe them. So we're going to give you an example of in different areas of life, and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter four in in, in the first several segments. And because it gives us sequential answers and understanding to how to deal with these different kinds of issues. So the first one is the Apostle Peter. And each segment, Jonathan, we're going to present what we call the comfort conundrum. So what's our comfort conundrum for this first segment? Falling prey to giving honor to some over others. Okay, and we're going to see what happens in this in a moment. But this ends up being an issue. In the area of social behavior, our social interactions with one another. So this is a social issue. Issue. Galatians chapter two, eleven to fourteen. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, meaning Christians of Jewish descent, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. Fearing the party of the circumcision, the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And Rick, this is certain peer pressure 
uh, from the the Jewish Christians. What wasn't it? Yeah, you know, and th- this is an interesting situ- situation because you know the Jewish Christians came in, and obviously they had a a um, kind of like an air about them that that was commanding respect. And we're going to get more into that in, in a few minutes. But you're right; it was peer pressure. Uh, in a very, very, very um, insidious way because it's in a public environment and everybody's kind of watching and you've got to make decisions. And folks, we all run into that. And inevitably, there is a level of comfort to one kind of decision, but it brings further discomfort if it's the wrong decision. So we've got to be careful with those kinds of things. So Peter is seeking a level of comfort that does not get certain people mad, but... What he was looking for actually made others less important. That hurts, Rick. It, and, and not only that, it is entirely inappropriate. Entirely. So we're going to need to look at that situation as it unfolds. Let's go to another TED Talk. This is Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. And this is very, very, very interesting talk. A gentleman by the name of Bill Ekstrom. And here he's going to give you a little bit of his personal background here and why he ended up giving this TED Talk. So I was on a roll. I was an executive with a nice salary, annual bonuses and stock options, all the perks. Everything was on track. And on Monday, January 7th, 2008, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in a small conference room on the top floor of our building, the president of the company wanted to have a quick meeting with me, which wasn't unusual since he was my boss. But the meeting turned out to be even more brief than expected. He fired me. And I'll never forget how his words just sucked the breath right out of me. And I left the conference room in a dazed state, and I went home and curled up my bed in the fetal position for three hours. What I now realize is while that event created the greatest amount of discomfort I had ever felt, it was that discomfort, the departure from my ordered life, that forever changed it for the better. So we've all had that experience in our lives, not necessarily getting fired from a job, but something that creates such incredible discomfort that it takes us by such surprise that, like he said, he was very graphic about it. He curled up in the fetal position on his bed. I mean, can you imagine the trauma that must have been going through his head? That was huge. And and so, but he says, you know, now obviously he's looking back on it. He says, best thing that ever happened to me. You know, at that moment, nobody wow. thinks it's the best thing that ever happened to them. So we've got to figure that out. How do we get there? So here, let's go back to the Peter connection. He was, uh, he withdrew from the Gentile Christians. It says, fearing the party of the circumcision. And he joined up with the Jewish Christians. Uh, and, and the scripture says in, in, in hypocrisy that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So that's the conundrum. Falling prey to giving honor to some uh, over others. What's the comfort correction here? Being reminded of what the truth of the matter is. So we have the feeling of the matter. The correction for that comfort conundrum is to find out the truth of the matter. Verses uh, or verse 14 of uh, Galatians chapter 2 gives us that correction. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, 
live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the Apostle Paul gets up in front of him and in front of everyone, and he said, look, you are not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And, and so he, he tells Peter off in public. Why did he do it in public? Because the bad judgment was made in public. And Paul wanted there to be no misunderstanding about the appropriate way to treat everyone. Now, think, think about Peter. You know, you, you had mentioned peer pressure earlier, okay? Right. And, and so, obviously, the pressure of the stature of the Jewish Christians probably came into play. They have this aura about them of being Jews, the God's chosen people for generations. Oh, exactly. They were the special ones. Right. And so, go ahead. Does that mean they're still special over others? There's uh, the question. Well, and, and see, Peter knew the answer because he was given the vision of being able to eat unclean meats. And he was told unequivocally, everybody's the same. That's right. But, he went to Cornelius's household and right. many Gentiles were converted. Right. But see, in that moment, the heritage, the stature, the dignity, perhaps— came into play, and Peter got sucked in. And it was wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. As Christians, we are not to compartmentalize individuals like that, pure, pure and simple. You know, so how do we deal with the comforts, uh, the comforts in life of falling in, in line with peer pressure? Peer pressure, falling to peer pressure is comfortable because standing up against it is very uncomfortable. So we've got the correction is, as you said, being reminded of what the truth of the matter is. So the comfort conclusion, then, is what? Well, Rick, it's learn the higher comfort of walking the way a Christian ought to walk. So you've got to learn the higher comfort that comes from the discomfort of standing against things. And here's where we turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to go through verses 1 through um, 6 in this segment. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So the, the apostle is saying, I implore you to walk the way in a manner that's worthy of the name of Christ. And Jonathan, that's a pretty high standard. Oh, it is. So Absolutely. he says now, he says now, be focused on humility, which opens the door to tolerance and love in verse two. With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So he's saying, here's how to do it, especially if you have challenges. And then he's going to continue in the next few verses, saying, okay, you've got this humility and gentleness in place. Then go to work at preserving the unity of the Spirit, verses 3 through 6. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So when you see that, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one calling, one hope, everything is one, you're all the same. So here's our personal comfort question based on the the, the, the uh, difficulty that, that the Apostle Peter faced and the answers given to us in Ephesians. Our personal comfort question is, Am I socially sound in my Christian comfort? 
How well do I regularly recognize all of the brotherhood as equals? Okay, so am I socially sound in my Christian comfort? Is it is it on a Christian level? That's the big thing. Yeah, and Rick, I that made me think about the example of the Pharisees. Do you remember how they they thought of themselves as more special right. than the rest of of the Israelites, and they would judge some as worthless and 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 having no value and no relationship with God, and they put themselves up on pedestals. They did, and that was an example that was very fresh in the minds of, first of all, the Apostle Peter, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, he was around when all of that happened. So when we look at that, we see that that is a, a perfect example of what not to do. And so we need to be socially sound in our Christian comfort and, and making it Christian-based comfort, not how I feel-based comfort. How well do I continually and regularly recognize all of the brotherhood is equals? And think about the Apostle Paul, Rick. He said he was the least of the apostles right. for what he did. But you look at his background and his stature as a Pharisee of Pharisees, it's amazing that he's here teaching us this lesson. Right. He threw it all away for very, very specific reasons. It's kind of funny. So I was on a roll. Say, I was an executive. No, we knew that. We knew you were on a roll. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to see how uncomfortable it is to look at the areas of life that we are comfortable. Dealing with others socially is hard enough. How do we go about dealing with others doctrinally? We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic. Sometimes we get so occupied with trying to navigate the social issues that can arise as we practice our Christianity, we minimize its doctrinal aspects. This is dangerous as both need clear and careful attention. A great challenge for all of us is managing and mastering both sides of this Christian coin. And so what we, we Christianity, Jonathan, is a life of balance. That's really an important thing. And, and off subject, I just got to mention, you know, I, I accidentally clicked on that, that soundbite that we had already played. Yeah. Just a couple of hours ago, my family was over for dinner and my, one of my nieces came up, Melody came up and, uh, and I was showing her the podcast set up and I showed her all the soundbites. I said, and I usually X them out so I don't by mistake, click the wrong one and figures the first opportunity I get. I clicked the wrong one. So, Melody, if I'm listening, that's the problem I was explaining to you right there. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so, you know, social things are big and, and, and powerful inside of our minds. Doctrinal things sometimes are not as big and powerful. Let's go back, before we get into the doctrine, uh, doctrinal discussion, let's go back to Yubing Zhang and her TED Talk on Life Begins at the Edge of Your Comfort Zone. And remember, she's about to jump off the world's highest bungee tower after being petrified, after being scared to death. So let's hear what happens. During the five seconds of free fall, I remember thinking to myself, 
it's not as scary as it looks. <laughs> and that thought led to a whole new world. Every time I hear the voice of fear in my head, I can't leave this job because I'm not going to find anything better. I'm scared of entering a new relationship because I don't want to be hurt again. And even a minute ago, before I walked onto the stage, the voice was repeating in my head. Every time I hear that voice, I take a deep breath and tell myself it's never as scary as it looks. You know that's really powerful advice. That is. And she said, and you know, and think about how long a five-second free fall is. You know, I don't, that's a long time. <laughs> so it's not as scary as it looks. You know, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> So by keeping that in mind, let's go to our next example now. And this is the Galatians, okay? Those who lived in uh, Christians living in Galatia. And really the theme here is who has bewitched you to become comfortable with distorted truth. So what's our comfort conundrum that we're going to be unfolding here? Falling prey to the off-center teachings of some Christians. So this is a discussion on doctrinal issues for Christianity. And sometimes this is a very uncomfortable discussion because there's so many different doctrinal uh, stances that Christians take. But we need, to, we need to go through it. So this is doctrinal matters. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We'll take it in a couple pieces. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? So here's the thing. The Apostle Paul is giving, saying, he, he, first of all, he's speaking very strong language. Who has bewitched you? You know, that's, that's a powerful accusation there. Oh, it is, Rick. So he's saying you've got to understand where your true roots are. See, go ahead. And weren't they tricked into believing that they had to be circumcised as Christians? Yes. Yeah. You know, and you think about that and you think about um, the, 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 the reasoning behind that. Because, okay, the law, you know, is, not, is no, longer, no longer relevant. But remember, in Jewish uh, history, circumcision preceded the law. It was there when, in Abraham's time. So Father Abraham, the value, how special he was! Wow, and that was the marker for Christ, for for Jewish or for God's chosen people being separate. So it's a convincing argument that preceded the law. Surely we need to keep that in place. No, the answer is no. See, this is a very difficult area of comfort management. In the days of the apostles, it was easier as they clearly led the way. Okay, it's easier to have those spokespeople that were the chosen ones of Jesus himself, standing up there and teaching you, having received the word directly from Jesus. We now live in a time when the gospel is often presented in a fashion that does not even resemble the original. So in doctrinal issues of comfort and discomfort, sometimes we get comfortable in a circumstance that is not comfortable because we're not willing to investigate it. So the investigation would be, go back to the original 12, Learn from their words and make sure they line up with the teachings that you're learning and believe. Yeah, and we're really going to really nail that down in, in just a minute. What's the correction for the conundrum, the comfort conundrum? Because the conundrum was falling prey to off-center teachings. The comfort correction for that is what? 
being reminded of the purity of the gospel and work power of its work. Okay. Remember the pure gospel. Remember the power of it. This is another example of off-center Christianity and the influence of Jewish Christians in the law, as we already mentioned, verses 3 to 5 of Galatians chapter 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith. So it's interesting that the apostle is saying, okay, you begun with the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by works of the flesh? I mean, really, what happened? Where did that left turn come in and I wasn't notified? You know, he said, did you suffer so many things in vain? So in other words, you were suffering as Christians because you were following the gospel and its purity. Did you suffer those things in vain? Because now you're, you're, you seem to be abandoning those things that you suffered for. He's asking them to really look hard at where they started and where they had turned to. Well, how uncomfortable were they in that moment, Rick? Well, you know, and you think of, of them reading this. That's, that's an interesting point. Because now the apostle's not saying it to them. He has written it to, to them. But in those days, when you received one of these letters— it was read in the church meeting. It was studied. It was discussed. It was put on the table. And often these letters were then transferred to other churches because these are the words of the apostles. So when the apostle Paul says, who has bewitched you, that has got to cut them right to the heart. What a wake-up call. And that's the point. Sometimes we need a wake-up call. See, for us, looking back on the issues with the law, um, this might seem like a foolish dilemma because, you know, Jesus nailed the law to the cross. Okay? I, I, we, we all know that. That's what the Scripture says. Peter had the vision of the unclean animals. We all know that. That's what the Scripture says. But remember, for thousands of years, up until the time of Jesus, the law was the only path to find God. And it was only given to those who had undergone circumcision. So you put all of those things together, and there's a powerful sense of, kind of like the last segment, Jonathan, that, that super important belonging, because you're this way and not that way. And they got fooled. They got fooled by it. They absolutely got fooled by it. So that, by going back to the law, Jonathan, they withdrew from opportunity to grow. That's really what it, what it boiled down to. And let's go back to Bill Ekstrom and his TED Talk, Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. And this, this is a fascinating, factual thing that he speaks of here that, I, that many of us have heard about. It has to do with goldfish. The growth rings represent living environments that promote or hinder growth. And that includes everything from your place of work to even a fishbowl. You see what dictates the size of a goldfish? is its environment. And while this goldfish lives in a very safe environment, it's also very limiting in most every way. And when placed in a more robust environment, like, say, a small pond, this can be the result. Now, it also means he could be eaten. But, friends, this is you. The environments in which you work, live, and play, they're all a proverbial fishbowl that dictates your growth. 
You know, it's interesting because he's giving the TED Talk, and of course I watch it, so it's easy. You know, he shows a goldfish in a goldfish bowl, and the fish is maybe two and a half inches long. Okay. And then he shows a picture of a goldfish in a pond, and it's six or eight inches long. It's huge. And you look at that and say, that's really a goldfish? Wow. And the environment gave it the opportunity to grow. Now, his point was you could be eaten, but look at the growth. And, you know, Jonathan, I, I just, just a, a side note, Christian questions has been like being thrown out of a goldfish bowl, <laughs> hasn't it? <laughs> You're right. You're right. Because, you know, you go along with life normally, and then 20 plus years ago, this opportunity comes up that was completely foreign to both of us, uh, you know, and, but by God's grace, we were able to, to jump right in, and we jumped into a pond that was way bigger than, than what we'd ever experienced. And I know you can say, because I can say, over the last 20 and a half years, the growth and the stretching and the development was unlike anything I ever expected. It's been quite a ride. <laughs> uh, and the Lord did the changing and the right. developing all along the way. And we just like, really? We're going to do that now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but see... There was a lot of discomfort. Oh, yes. But then you get to a new level, and the comfort is so much bigger and better because it's a better opportunity. I, I always remember you saying, when I really started feeling comfortable yeah. about what we're doing, the Lord would change it up again and yeah. make me uncomfortable. Right, right, and, 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 and help you to stretch in ways that you never knew possible. Yeah. And, you know, it really, really, that analogy is so, so important. And so, you know, again, back to our, our main issue with doctrinal matters. And that's part of Christian questions. We want the Bible to be clear. We want the words of the apostles and the words of Jesus to shine above every other word, every other tradition, every other denomination, everything, because that's what the truth is. So the comfort conclusion here in relation to doctrinal issues is what? Remember the strength of the gospel's beginning. Let's go to Ephesians four eleven to 16. We're going to break it up in about three pieces. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So this is telling us he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, apostles first, and they are the ones that we feed off of. And they feed us through their writings and their teachings, and we need to take those and not mess them up, not get creative with them, but simply follow. Keep our eyes open and follow. Jesus intentionally handled the, handed the gospel over to the twelve first, through which the Holy Spirit came to the rest of the body. This allowed for individual strengths and gifts to contribute to that body. Uh, verse 13 of Ephesians 4. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. Those are the important things. Previously, Ephesians spoke of the unity of the Spirit, and here it adds the unity of the faith. And so we're seeing that there's a, a, a great emphasis on our learning new levels of spiritual comfort in, in terms of unity and in terms of being together with what's most important. Verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was thinking the Apostle Paul has warned us several times that ravenous wolves would come yeah. in to try to change 
that simplicity of the beginning that we're taught to the apostles. Yeah, as a matter of fact, in the last segment, we're going to come right to where he says that to the Ephesians, and it's very, very, very powerful. So keep that thought, uh, folks, in your minds, because those are the things we need to be able to stand against. So uh, now back to uh, verse, um, where are we, 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So what he's saying is, as a result of standing firm and following after the original gospel, don't be children, find your feet, stand firm in that which is absolutely true. And, he, and you know, this really does apply back to the Galatians being fooled by things. So we have to stay close to what was originally given and accept only teaching that is in line with the original gospel period. Verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So speak the truth in love, look at the whole thing, be fit into the body, be unified as best as we can. You know, some of these things we look at idealistically, and we're going to break them down a little bit later. But the point is, be focused on what the true gospel says and again, don't add or subtract. So our personal comfort question that wraps up this doctrinal discussion is what? Am I doctrinally sound in my Christian comfort? Do I draw my teaching from only those sources that are directly in line with Scripture? And Jonathan, for a lot of us, we're not sure of the answer to those questions. A lot of us as Christians, we go to church and we follow along and we sometimes go along to get along. But we don't do the work ourselves to really find out if what we're being told is in harmony with, with, with Scripture. Well, that would be uncomfortable, Rick. It's more comfortable to go along. Yes, and that's the point. It is uncomfortable. But, you know, how, how is it that there are, so many, that are thousands of Christian denominations? How is it that that happened? All of them cannot, you know, it's nice to say, well, you know, they're all part of following after Jesus. They all can't be right. They just simply can't. And that's a hard thing to say. And, you know, and somebody can respond and say, well, who do you think you are? You think you're right? Well, we think that the gospel in the scriptures is right. And what we try to do all of the time is to focus on that and put tradition and, and ceremony and ritual aside so we can hold on to just that which we believe to be of the original source. Am I doctrinally sound in my Christian comfort? Do I draw my teachings only from sources that are directly in line with Scripture? Those are hard questions, Jonathan, and they demand, they demand very sound answers, which sometimes are not easy. But folks, think about being called to follow Christ. Is it worth the discomfort to try to find that out so you can rise to a higher level of spiritual comfort as we look at these things? So it's very uncomfortable to think of yourself as being comfortable with teachings that don't fit the Bible. Social and doctrinal comfort seem to be the two big things. What about comfort with smaller things? 
There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry. We never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. We really do need to watch the smaller things just as much as the bigger ones. The Bible tells us that the little foxes are the ones that spoil the vine. Sometimes our personal interactions with others on a one-on-one basis are a foundation for many of the larger things that we must cope with. So, Jonathan, you know, the social issues, that's a big deal. The doctrinal issues, that's a big deal. Well, there are other issues that are just as big a deal, but they may not be as high on the uh, on the list. But these are personal. These are one-on-one right. relationships, Rick. Uh, that, that tugs at the heartstrings. Those are important. Yeah, and, you know, be even just because they're smaller doesn't mean they're less influential. Exactly. So we have to be really careful. So our next example for being uncomfortable and trying to find appropriate comfort, this is a unique example. It's Paul and Barnabas uh, and John Mark and the issue of not being ready for a specific discomfort, which sounds like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> we'll explain in a minute. So what is our comfort conundrum to get this started? Falling prey to our feelings when assessing what the gospel work needs. Okay, so we're focusing on our comfort in our relationships and how that can maybe be a good thing, but maybe sometimes not be a good thing. And we need to be to, to deal with the discomfort of trying to rise above something or other. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So Paul says, can't take that young man. And Barnabas says, oh, no, no, we need to take that young man. So who was right? I mean, this is, this is a diametrically opposed situation. Paul was focusing on the rigors of that work, which would require, that the work would require. But Barnabas is focusing on the growth of one individual who had previously failed. And, you know, it's, now, go ahead. And this is a family issue because Barnabas is related to John Mark. So it's very personal. To right. Him, isn't it? Right. So John Mark is Barnabas's nephew. And he's saying, no, no, Paul, he's up to it. I know he's, I know him. And you think about it, Barnabas would have known him. Mm-hmm. Probably knew him his whole life. And he knew that the failure, he probably knew that that failure, you know, I know that it, it helped him. And trust me, he can do this. And the apostle's like, nope, nope, not taking him. Not taking him. I just can't take him. It's too much work. He failed us last time. We have to be focused. Can't do this. So, Jonathan, this is a serious serious argument here so we're gonna, we're gonna have to see how this how this works out but first let's go back to bill ekstrom you know and he was talking about when he's talking about the goldfish bowl you know taking the goldfish out of the goldfish bowl and putting them into a pond he's talking about uh growth rings so in this soundbite he's going to introduce the first two growth rings and these things can either are, are ways that, that that take growth and and make it stall 
So the first growth ring represents a low-performing, low-growth environment called stagnation. Stagnation is understood by having to follow too many steps and permissions and minutia that stifles creativity, independent thought, and action. To imagine an environment such as this, think no further than our state and federal governments. Now, the antithesis of stagnation is chaos, also low growth and low performing. Chaos can be caused by internal or external events or conditions. We see chaos occur at times in business mergers, natural disasters, and horrific events like 9-11. Chaos is having zero predictability or control over inputs and outcomes. So he's saying that stagnation can happen when there's too many, too many uh, details and things that, that you end up tripping over, and chaos where there's not enough in order, and neither one of those situations will promote growth. They, they actually take away from it. And oftentimes, Jonathan, in our Christian lives, we can get into stagnation where you, know, you feel like, okay, I want to be very careful in how I follow the will of God, and that's good. You know, and, and but you know, we become almost ritualistic in our following, or we get into situations of chaos where life starts to fall apart. I'm sure that's never happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 that can also be a real, real squasher of real strong growth. But see, the thing is that to get out of those things requires a discomfort. You know, you know, if you just go along to get along with those things, you, you kind of, it's sort of comfortable, but it's not growth producing. So in this segment, again, it's about relationships. The conundrum was an out-and-out disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about taking John Mark with them on their next journey. The comfort correction here, and this is interesting because they're at a stalemate. So the, the comfort correction here is what? Being reminded that all things and people don't fit in all circumstances. Okay, all things and all people don't fit in all circumstances. This is an important principle. So what happened with Paul and Barnabas in relation to John Mark? Verses 39 and 40. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Okay, so they parted ways. And it's interesting that Barnabas, when you think about Paul's history, was the one who took Paul under his wing when he was that newer Christian. And, and, brought, and probably introduced them to the all the other apostles. And at the appropriate time, stepped aside and let Paul take the lead. So Barnabas was very important to the Apostle Paul. Absolutely. And yet they parted ways. Now, and it's interesting, it says that, you know, they went, Paul chose Silas, they left, uh, committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So they were still blessed. It's, it, it, so it's giving you an indication they're still blessed. It doesn't say anything about Barnabas, but that doesn't mean he wasn't blessed. That's right. He and Mark could have done a great work where they went. You know, and that's an interesting point, because this does not seem like the happily ever after moment we'd want to see from a challenge like this. As a matter no, of fact, you're right. this challenge happens right after, this is interesting, it happens right after the big conference at Jerusalem, where they have the, the big discussion about circumcision and all of those things, 
and they come to this great compromise, and everybody walks out of there feeling like, yes, we're working together. And the next event you read about is this. Is, is uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so Jonathan, let me put you on the spot. Who's right? Actually, I don't, I don't think either is wrong. Okay. I don't think there's a winner or a loser here, Rick. I believe that the experience happened and the Lord's work went on and they were all blessed, I believe, from this experience. Well, and I think that's an important lesson that we have to draw. Just because we disagree on the on the execution of different things doesn't mean there's a right and a wrong. It just means that there are, there are differences. And if we can take those differences and learn with them and from them, then you're right. There doesn't have to be a winner and a loser. Okay, the discomfort was extraordinary here, and the lesson here is extraordinary as well. Sometimes the gospel can be served even though our feathers get ruffled and we see things differently. You know, and the important thing in this experience, Jonathan, is that it didn't make a permanent scar on any of the above mentioned. How do we know that? Because the end of the Apostle Paul's story, in 2 Timothy, he's essentially writing his farewell letter to Timothy. He's saying, I'm ready to die now. It's very emotional. Here's what he says um, regarding Mark. Because remember, it sounded like he was being awfully harsh to John Mark earlier. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, and this is kind of as he's wrapping up his final words. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. So here's the, here's the interesting thing about this. First of all, Mark is mentioned... Paul wants Mark around near the end of his life. You think about that for a second. You think of the power of respect that the apostle has by calling out his particular name because he knows his days are now numbered. And he also knows the growth and development right. that Mark has gone through in Christ to an, a, such an, a mature level that he sees such value in this man. So what was once, no, he's not up to it, did not leave a scar in the mind of the Apostle Paul. And he was able to simply say, it's my judgment that he can't handle the rigors of this trip, so leave him home. But later on, he's like, no, I want him. You know, the Apostle Paul mentions a few individuals by name throughout all of his writings. But not many. No, and to be mentioned the way Mark is, it's a real, real, real privilege. And the other fascinating thing is that he says in verse 10, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Others have gone other places. I need a replacement for someone who's stable and strong. Send me Mark. So Wow, that, that's quite a compliment. It is. It's huge. So when we have those relationship issues and there's disagreements on things, folks, it doesn't mean that, you know, that's the end of something. Just because it's a discomfort doesn't mean we can't go beyond it if we're not so emotionally invested in it that we, we dig our claws in. I don't think anybody, like you said, dug their claws in. I think that they just parted ways and they had incredible mutual respect 
simply had a disagreement in the process. So, so what's the comfort conclusion here from this particular view of relationship issues? Well, Rick, learn from weaknesses, our own as well as others, and respect growth. Okay. So in the Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark issue, who won? Everybody. They all did. Right. Who lost? <laughs> Nobody. Okay. That's so important. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And verse 24 was our theme scripture, so that's where we'll get to that. But we'll take it in two parts. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have been themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impure and with greediness. Okay, so what he's saying is, I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer like the Gentiles walked. So in our relationships, I think this really applies so well in the comfort and discomfort issues that we have. You know, Jonathan, sometimes we are too comfortable in our relationships. And sometimes those relationships can cause us to make compromises that we really shouldn't. The Apostle Paul believed he shouldn't compromise. Barnabas believed he shouldn't compromise. I believe both of them were correct. And like you said earlier, they went different ways, and they did twice as much work. So, you know, we have to walk not in the darkness of the the futility of the minds of the Gentiles, especially with our relationships. Folks, discomfort is good if it helps us to grow beyond. we got to ask ourselves, have I become callous in any part of my less-than-Christian comfort? You know, how comfortable am I with, with, with what once drove me? Or, you know, do, am I too used to earthly parts of my life, fleshly parts of my life to, to do something about them? Read verses 20 through 24. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, and I love these verses in Ephesians because it talks about the Gentiles walking outside of godliness in in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, and they're excluded from the life of God. And then you compare it with when you put on the new self, which is the likeness of God that has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Boy, what a great life that is. That's for sure. But it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because it's not natural. And sometimes we're too comfortable with our humanness, and we don't want the discomfort of changing. But that's what the apostle is telling us we have to be striving up towards. So, Here's the thing, you know, in relation to the John Mark experience and Paul and Barnabas, beware of overextending your ability due to immaturity, okay? It's great to seek out life, to seek life out of your comfort zone, but it can be deadly if we go there under false pretenses. So, Jonathan, it's important to realize that, look, everybody can't do what everybody else does. You're right, absolutely. Everyone is unique in Christ. 
you know, and just because you see somebody doing what you may think be would be a great work and say, hey, I'm going to do that. If you're not wired to be able to do such a thing, then you got to be careful. It's great to say, I want to do that. I just want to, I want to serve in a big capacity, but that may not be your capacity. Right, exactly. Find what God has given you. Work and let that grow. What's our personal comfort question for this segment? Am I re- relationally sound in my Christian comfort? Do I respect and acknowledge others' limitations and growth? And do I know myself well enough to respect myself? So in our Christian relationships, are we sound on a Christian basis with the relationships that we have? Do I respect and acknowledge the limitations that others have, the growth that others have? Am I willing to see somebody has been able to change, been able to grow, been able to mature, and able to accept the new one, new version of that person? When in fact the old version may have done, you know, maybe they rubbed us the wrong way. Are we willing to erase that from our minds the way the Apostle Paul did and say, send me John Mark. He's really valuable. And do we know ourselves well enough to respect what we are capable of and honor those things that others may be capable of that we're not and say, thank God that they can do their part and thank God I can do mine. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to go there. But you know what, Jonathan? That's what brings us to our ultimate highest level of Christian comfort is acknowledging all of these things and putting them in order. And relationship. I love that, Rick. Staying in harmony even in disagreement. Yes. That's hard to do, but the scriptures show us it's not impossible. And obviously, it's something that's really, really valuable. We have to be so careful with our one-on-one judgments and relationships. They all must honor God. What about our emotions? Should we ever be uncomfortable with how we feel about things? Rick and Jonathan are so busy analyzing how today's issues can be solved by a scriptural approach, they naturally don't talk a lot about who they are in daily life. So that's my job. Here's a couple facts you may not have known about your two hosts, such as, for some reason when Rick wears a tie, it always has an animal on it. Why? We don't know. That's just his preference. Now, Jonathan may not love animal ties, but he has a cool rescue dog named Beta. And now you know more about your Christian Questions hosts. Talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan. We need appropriate comfort when it comes to social, doctrinal, and relational issues. So it is only reasonable to expect that we have appropriately based comfort when it comes to our emotions. This may be one of the hardest areas of all because we are so easily driven by how we feel. And Jonathan, I'll tell you, that I, in my own life, in my own personal experience, and the experiences that I observe of others, how I feel, whoever I happens to be, is such a big thing. Oh, that's huge. And some are more emotional than others, and it's quite a challenge. Yeah, so I, I have to ask you, why would you name a dog Beta? It's all about <laughs> a fishbowl, Rick. We were going to get my mother-in-law a beta fish. Oh, really? (laughs) Because she kept killing the goldfish. They lasted a week and they were dead. Well, beta fish live longer. Let's get Ma a beta fish. Well, as we're driving, looking, thinking of going to a store for a beta fish, we're like, 
she really wants a dog and a companion at home when we're working because she lived with us. Let's look for a dog. And we looked at like five shelters, nothing. We're like, okay, let's go get the fish. We went to the store and they had this pet adoption with these rescue dogs. And we brought home beta dogs. Said, mom, we brought your beta, but you're going to have to come out front and take a look. And she just was beaming. She was so happy to have a companion dog at home. All right. I I never knew that story. So thank you for that information. All right. Let's So why do you wear animal ties? (laughs) I'm going to save that for another day. Okay. Okay. So we'll get back to that one day. I promise. Um, You know, in terms of, of of our discussion now, it's about comfort and discomfort and, you know, being too comfortable. And now we're going to focus on, on emotions. Let's get back to, um, quickly get back to Bill Ekstrom, his TED Talk, Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. Remember, he was talking about the order rings and there was uh, stagnation and chaos. Well, uh, the, the growth rings, I'm sorry, not order rings, growth rings. And now there's a third growth ring. And this is something that can actually hinder growth. This is really interesting. Coming back down the growth rings next to stagnation is the most desirable environment, order. Order is knowing that what you do or what is happening in your environment leads to a predictable outcome. And in predictability, comfort is found. But comfort is also what makes order so dangerous. Because science shows that any time you continually do something or even think about something the same way, you'll eventually stop growing. And this applies to every living thing. So before your order continues to limit the way you think and act, remember what I said earlier. Growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. Now think about the power of that phrase. Growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. Think about the power of that phrase. Order. Oh, I love order, Rick. I know, I know. (laughs) I love everything being in its proper place. Well, the Lord said, no. He said, bring your parents home to live with you and have 24-hour care, and everything is not the way it ever was. <laughs> so it's not predictable. It's not orderly. No. And, no. and so there's that always that, that new adventure that arises. Now, oh, yeah. now, now look, but let's, let's back up. It's still orderly, but just the way it's set up is, is different because the expectations now have to be very, very different. And, and so a lot of times our perception of orderly may not be what God, like you're saying, what God is perceiving you need as the kind of order in your life. So I would submit to you, your life is in order, but from a godly perspective, you just have to figure it out. Good point. Good and, point. Um, you know, and I, and I hear you <laughs> on the challenge of figuring that out, especially. That is an yes. amazing thing to figure. So. As we look at emotions, the example for this segment is forgiving one another. It's not always easy as it sounds or as we'd like it to be. So what is our comfort conundrum here uh, in relation to this, these emotions? Falling prey to an emotional hurt or wound when forgiveness or positive action is the appropriate course of action. Falling prey to an emotional hurt or wound. How many of us carry those with us? How many of us rehearse those again and again and again and again and again? And sometimes that rehearsal of those things will keep us in a place that is uncomfortably comfortable so we don't find the discomfort necessary to break that pattern. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, it's about forgiveness. Then Peter came to him and said, 
Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So it's interesting. You know, the, the Peter saying, uh, you know, I need an answer to solidify, you know, my need to forgive. Because, you know, it's too easily, we are too easily convinced that there are tangible limitations to our requirement to forgive. And, you know, it seems to me that's what Peter was thinking. Surely, if I forgive my brother seven times, that's enough. I mean, it's got to be enough. And, you know, this convincing that there are limits to forgiveness are not only come from inside of our own head, but, you know, we talked about peer pressure a few segments ago. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they come from peer pressure. You know, mm. the idea that, oh, look, you know what? Do they really deserve forgiveness? Look what they did to you. Look how much it hurt you. Let them stew. I hope they fall and break their nose. You know, that, you know, that kind of thing, that sense of make them suffer. And so we can, can figure that there are limitations to our requirement to forgive. So what is the comfort correction for this? Being reminded that forgiveness is a vital part of our Christian walk. How do we know? Verse 22 of Matthew 18. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Peter got his answer. It's 490 times. And that's it. No more forgiveness, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you going to count? Is that what you're saying? I mean, think about that. Think if you took that scripture and said, okay, now I know the limit. You know what you're saying? You're saying you're just, you're going to go drown with them. That's what you're saying. Because remember, forgiveness, when we forgive someone, we are not releasing them from godly consequences. We are releasing them from our heart. We are saying, what you did will no longer live in my heart. The weight is released from you. Right. Mm. Why wouldn't we do that? See, that's uncomfortable, but it's an unco- a discomfort we need to rise up to. Jesus often speaks plainly about our giving forgiveness. And, you know, the interesting thing is he never says, well, look, and I say, verily I say unto you, I'm making this up, folks, okay? <laughs> verily I say unto you, see how you feel about forgiving them first. Or verily, verily, it is okay not to forgive if you're not up to it. Thus says the Lord. I mean, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a, as a matter of fact, here's what he says. Luke 17, three to four. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So, you know, it's interesting that in the Matthew account, Peter says, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. And in Luke, now I'm not sure which one came first, you know, and and I think that Matthew would have come before the Luke account, just by memory, but I'm not sure. But he says, you know, if if he sins against you seven times in a day, you forgive him seven times. And it may have been playing off of what Peter had asked him previously. and saying, not just seven times, but if he sins against you seven times in a day, you need to have that forgiveness in your heart every single time. And, and, you know, just to solidify that, the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, but we almost never read the verses after the Lord's Prayer. Verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, 
then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Jonathan, that's pretty, that's, that's scary. Oh, that is. That is, we, this is a requirement of faithful followers of Christ, forgiveness. That, it's huge. Now, now, now let's, let's address this just practically, because sometimes we have, have been hurt so badly that it, we can't just forgive. And if we did, it would be just lip service. So the, I think the lesson here is to grow into the forgiveness, grow towards the forgiveness, recognizing that you need to get there and acknowledging it uh, it before God through Jesus and saying, I'm working there, I'm trying to get there, I'm trying to get there, and keep moving in the right direction. This is about the emotions that we have to deal with, and they are hard, hard to manage. And sometimes our emotional comfort needs to be broken up and made uncomfortable so we can grow. Let's go. We're going to go back to uh, Yu Bing Zhang. Remember, she's the one who jumped off the uh, the world's tallest bungee tower. And from her talk, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. And she's talking about a young woman in this in this seg- uh, soundbite named Chia. And this Chia was a very young woman when she was married, um, at like fourteen. So bad situation. Let's hear what she talks about. Let me take you back to the summer of two thousand seven. A remote village in Cambodia, a small room in the domestic violence victim center. It's my first day of work. I walked into the room and was introduced to an 18-year-old girl. Her name was Chia. Chia was so emotionally, physically abused that she was trembling all the time, and she couldn't even look at me in the eyes. And on her face, I saw fear, anxiety, and shame. And that day, Chia refused to take our help and went back to her husband. And in the course of next few months, she would do that again and again, only come back with more bruises and cuts. So you know, you have someone who is stuck, and obviously, Jonathan, this young woman's life was not comfortable. Oh, she was going through torture. But here's the problem: the discomfort of changing that which was not comfortable was in her mind greater than the existing discomfort. And she had to wrestle through that. And we go and fall into that so many times. And it's the, and it's the plague of our own emotions and the things that play in our minds again and again and again. So this is serious things when we're talking about our emotions and the comfort that they present to us and the discomfort of being able to break free to rise above them. So we've had the comfort conundrum of falling prey to emotional hurts and wounds, the correction of being reminded that forgiveness, as an example, is a vital part of our Christian walk. And now what's the comfort conclusion here? Learn that speaking truth and acting appropriately is always better than any feeling we might want to cling or hide behind. So being immersed in truth is always better than any feeling of whatever it is that makes us feel like, well, I'm, you know, I'm good enough or I'm bad enough or whatever it is. I mean, because sometimes our minds are, are messed up. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. We'll go 25 to 28 to begin. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, 
and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. So it's interesting that, you know, the apostle in Ephesians chapter 4, as he's saying, look, you lay aside falsehood, and that's, that means inside of our minds, as well as the things that we might be saying, speak truth to each other um, because we're members of one another. We owe each other a higher fidelity than just sort of getting along and going along. It's okay to be angry, but do not sin in that anger. As a matter of fact, don't let the sun go down on that anger because we have to do things in a godly fashion. And he says, don't give the devil an opportunity. You've got to rise above how you feel. Versus, uh, so emotion, emotions create a classic opportunity for the devil to take hold of our lives from the inside out. So now verses 29 through 32. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So be willing to follow Jesus in going beyond what you're comfortable with and beyond even what you might think is reasonable. And I love that verse 31 where it says, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Those are all emotions. Those are all emotionally driven things. And, you know, and, and, and be kind and tender hearted. That's what you replace all of that stuff with. So we come to our personal comfort question that really sums up the need for emotional control. What is it? Am I emotionally sound in my Christian comfort? Do I follow the principles and preferences of godliness over my own humanly comfortable ways? Okay. Is my Christian comfort in relation to my emotions sound or does it just sound good? And too often, Jonathan, we go with, well, it sounds good. And we go with, well, you know, God knows I'm an imperfect person, so that we therefore justify this or that behavior or this or that feeling or holding on to this or that. And folks, when we get to that point, what we're saying is I am comfortable by rationalizing my life before God. Now, wait, are you really comfortable rationalizing your life to God? He knows everything. Right. <laughs> you can't get away with a thing. And so the discomfort of facing such things and saying, and you know, and it's not like you can t- just turn a dial and suddenly you're, you're, you're over these things. That's not what we're suggesting. What we're suggesting is that we understand the, the depth of the need to rise up. And to be able to bring that before God, before the, the throne of grace. You know, they, it's called the throne of grace for a reason. You know, it gives you, when you go before, a, if you went before a throne of harsh judgment, or you could choose the throne of grace, which one would you go before? Ooh, ooh, I choose grace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the idea of that is to take the brokenness of your own heart and say, God, I am trying. To I see the higher way, and I see where I'm stuck, 
and I want my emotions to be sound in relation to my Christianity, but I need to learn how to be uncomfortable with them so they can grow to that end. That's a tough thing to do, but Jonathan, boy, is it ever necessary. And Rick, I love the point. Uh, God has forgiven you uh, in Christ. Uh, If we have a hard time forgiving someone, the Lord is going to bring us low in experience where we mess up so bad and we're asking for forgiveness and we're thinking, well, gee, if God's forgiven me for this, I should absolutely forgive so-and-so for their mistake against me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we need to be really sure that our emotional comfort food is healthy, especially on a spiritual level. Christian comfort is learned and not inherited. What is the highest Christian comfort we can strive for? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. When we're willing to go forward into what we know will be serious human discomfort, that is where true Christian maturity is found. This is a place that is not for the faint of heart, nor for the one who is just content with the way it is. Spiritual comfort lives in the denial of one's self. If you want to be spiritually comfortable before God, that's where you must live, in the the denial of ourselves. And that's easy to say, Jonathan, but it is not easy to do. No, it's not. So this next example, the Apostle Paul leaving Ephesus, willing to face discomfort and to leave them uncomfortable. And, and Jonathan, we were talking before the podcast started. I love these verses in Acts chapter 20. They are such a powerful message from the Apostle Paul to the elders of the church of Ephesus. So what's the comfort conundrum here that we need to face? Failing, uh, falling prey to resisting necessary change when something has become comfortable and profitable. Okay. Resisting necessary change when what's changing is already comfortable. It's already profitable. It's already working. Why would you, you know, the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's kind of what we're looking at. And this is really, to me, this is the culmination of all of the comfort, discomfort we've been talking about. We started with the social environment and the doctrinal environment and relationship environment and emotional environment. Now we're dealing with spirituality. This is a message of pure spirituality here. After being in Ephesus for three years, Paul is being called away by his mission. So he gathers the Ephesus elders, and in Acts 2, verses 2 through 38, we're not going to read all the verses because it's just, just too much, he talks to them, and he tells them that he's leaving, and he tells them why. So let's start with verses uh, 22 and 23. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, 
that bonds and afflictions await me. So think about that as you're giving your farewell message to these brethren that you have been associated with regularly for three years and saying, I've got to leave you. God's influence is, is, is driving me away and God's power and influence is telling me that bonds and afflictions await me. So I'm leaving. I mean, it's like I am walking into the fire, and I know I'm walking into the fire, and I'm going to go happily walking into the fire. Um, so, you know, it's a strange, it's a strange announcement to hear that he's walking toward very hard times. And Paul continues, verses 24 and 25. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you, among whom I will be about preaching the kingdom, will not no longer see my face. So he first says, you know, I don't hold my life in any special esteem. I just have to finish what God has put me on the road to start. He gave me the strength to start it. He gave me the strength to continue it. And now he's telling me, go finish what you started. And I'm going to go do that. He says, you know, and that's what my life is about. It's nothing more special than that. And I love that humility. And then he tells them, Jonathan, and I know that I will never see any of you again in this life. I mean, Jonathan, you have this incredible fellowship and I mean, look, if, 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 you know, you and I have known each other for all of these years. And if you said to me, Rick, I'm leaving, I'm being called to go someplace else. And I know I'll never see you again. I would break my heart. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these brethren depended on the leadership of Paul. They just, they were stronger because his presence was with them. And, you know, for him to leave, what do they do? Right. So th- th- this is perhaps one of the hardest spiritual things to do, to be separated from your co-laborers, from that incredible bond that you have developed over time. And yet the Apostle Paul is being called to do that. So this is a serious discomfort because what they were doing together was good, was profitable, was wonderful. Everybody was blessed. So what's the comfort correction to be able to deal with something like this? Being reminded that our present comfort, though good, needs to grow in scope and maturity. This is a powerful lesson in being able to be uncomfortable when the comfort we have is good, justifiable, and blessed by God. It's saying that our discomfort needs to grow, needs to get us to grow uh, our lives into the scope, in terms of scope and maturity because there's more for us to do perhaps. And you've got to be willing to do that. Verses 26 through 28 of Acts 20, Paul continues. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he says... I've done everything. I've, I've worked very hard with you. Um, you now, you now are overseers. You're the ones that are now going to be responsible in my place. And then he says, and you, you brought this up earlier in the podcast. So here is where he brings up the idea of you know, there's going to be challenges. Verses 29 to 31. 
I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So now remember, he is talking to the leadership in the church of Ephesus. And he says, I know, just like I know that when I leave you, I'm heading for a lot of trouble. I also know that when I leave you, savage wolves will come in and they will not spare the flock. In other words, they're going to try to rip you to pieces. And he says, and I know from amongst your own selves, men will arise and speak perverse things to draw, draw, draw people after them. They're going to want to replace me. That's essentially what he's saying to them. And you wonder if he might have had an idea of who might be heading down that road. Yeah, I always wondered. That. I wondered. Mm, interesting. But see, Paul is saying, I have shown you how to stand up and fight. So you're equipped. You are ready for this. He's not saying, I'm leaving you to test you to see how well you do. He's saying, I'm leaving because God is telling me to. And I also know that by my leaving, you are equipped to make up for what will be lacking when I go. So it's a powerful message. He's promoting accountability to those he's leaving. He's handing the baton off saying, it's in your hands. Right. It's, Serve God well. It's your turn. Step up. That's what yep. he's telling me. Exactly. Let, let, let's go back finally for our final soundbite. Back to you, Bing Zhang and her TED Talk, Life Begins at the Edge of Your Comfort Zone. Remember, she's talking about that young woman, Chia, who was 18 years old, would go to get help, go back home, get beat up again, come to get help, go back home, get beat up again. She kept doing this again and again. Now let's listen to a conclusion to this, this portion. Chia knew that she should leave her husband, but she was scared to because she had been married to her him since 14, dependent on him for survival, and did not know that she could live a life on her own. To help Chia, and thousands of other girls like Chia, I started a vocational skill training program. After three months of training, magic happened. Chia regained confidence and dignity, stepped out of the fear of failure, found a new job in a local hotel, and separated with her husband. She started a new chapter of life at the edge of her comfort zone. That's, a, that's an inspirational story about a young woman who just needed help and guidance and someone who saw the guidance and help that they needed and provided what she needed so she could grow up to make an important decision to stand on her own. And to me, it's very similar to the Apostle Paul leaving the Ephesians. He had equipped them thoroughly up to this point. He knew that they could handle this, but and he was not afraid to tell them that this is a time of, of great change, even though what has been happening has been so good. So we've had the comfort uh, conundrum of falling prey to uh, resisting necessary change, even though what's all, because what's good, what's, what's in place rather, is already good. The correction, you've got to be reminded that even though something is good doesn't mean it can't be made better. Now what's the comfort conclusion? Learn to emulate all of the good you have been taught so that you might find a new comfort in taking up the responsibilities that arise from necessary change. See, the beauty of change in these situations is that responsibilities just open up. 
And again, just back to the Christian questions example, Jonathan, every time things have changed and, you know, when, when, when growth has occurred here or there or, or, you know, in social media doing other things, what we needed were those to rise up and fill those positions. And every time somebody somewhere said, oh, oh, I can do that. I can do that. You know, that's, that's along the lines of my talent or my, my normal work. I would love to volunteer my time to help you with that. And that's how change happens. Because responsibility calls, and then there are those who answer. And that's what the Apostle Paul was requiring of the Ephesians. Let's go to verses 32 to 34. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. So the Apostle Paul says a whole lot there. First of all, he says, and I love this part, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, you've had me feeding you godliness and the words of his grace. Now I am turning you over to God and the words of his grace because those things are able to build you up to get that inheritance that we've talked about. And then he says, look, you know that in all the time I've been here, I haven't asked for a nickel from anybody. I've supported myself. I've taken care of those with me as well. And so he's saying, I want you to do the same. I want you to grow up. You're being called upon. It's not even that I want you to grow up. You must. God put this in front of you. This is uncomfortable, but necessary. Verses 35, uh, verse 35. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So he's reminding them that as you take greater responsibility, it is your responsibility to give, because that's where the greatest blessing is. And verse 36 through 38. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. These are grown men that are become, frankly, blubbering messes because their, the, the, their leader, the icon whom they followed in Christ, was walking away, walking into danger and trouble and death, and leaving them to take care of what he so lovingly poured his heart and soul into. And, you know, it was such a hard, hard, hard parting. But it was so necessary. It was uncomfortable. But it would create better spiritual comfort. And this is about spirituality. So what's our personal comfort question here, our last one for this uh, podcast? Am I spiritually sound in my Christian comfort? Am I willing to step up and step out when my mission for the gospel and the brotherhood calls me to do so? So again, in my Christian comfort, is it spiritually sound? Now look, Jonathan, we can be comfortable as Christians, but that doesn't mean we are in a comfortable position as a Christian. No. Okay? If we're not growing, we're dying spiritually. So if we're not uncomfortable... We're not growing. Exactly. See, you're doing a good job, that means. 
(laughs) (laughs) You too, brother. (laughs) But see, this is such an important thing. It comes down to spirituality. It's not just about the, you know, the social relationships anymore. It's not, it's now, and look, social relationships are really important. It's not just about doctrine anymore. And doctrine's really important. It's Mm -hmm. not just about our personal relationships. And they're really important. It's not just about how we feel. And that's really important. But it's about our spirituality. And the Apostle Paul, in this particular example, is showing us unequivocally that taking steps that are incredibly uncomfortable, even though what you're walking away from was very comfortable and very profitable and very blessed, sometimes must happen. And to be able to face those steps and say, I'm going forward in the grace of God, and those I leave behind I commend to the grace of God, to me, that is the epitome of finding spiritual comfort in our physical discomfort. And those are the things we really have to be careful of. The Lord's will be done. You know, and that very, very simply and and very eloquently wraps up the whole idea of spiritual comfort because it really does come down to the Lord's will being done in every aspect of our lives, no matter what we're doing and no matter how it's going. So folks, it really comes down to this. Can you ever get too comfortable? Oh yeah. And we've talked about all the areas of life in which that can happen. The good news is that if we can recognize that comfort and say, I need to be uncomfortable so that I can be more comfortable in serving God and walking in Jesus' footsteps, we can not only tolerate but learn to embrace that new level of discomfort because it brings us closer to our Father and therefore closer to one another by God's grace. Folks, look, it's our final program for 2018. We wish you all a very, very wonderful new year in the Lord and be uncomfortable as you grow so you can be more blessed. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, don't get too comfortable. Seek God's blessing instead. Think about it. Folks, look, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Are the Wicked Winning? Talk to you then.